lot to talk about here, even though the fourth aliyah of Kisisa is relatively short, but that's only in terms of the number of psukim. The content is intense, and that's true about this whole parsha. It's both dramatic and theologically incredibly intense, perhaps one of the theologically densest parshios in the Torah, and more that we can talk about really generally in a lifetime, that's a little bit to the point of this aliyah, but certainly more than we can talk about in any thorough way today. But we'll do our best, but we also have to talk about Parshish Para, which is, as we'll see, not unrelated. So we'll try to do as much justice as we can to both of these topics in a brief period of time. So here we are dealing with the aftermath of the downfall. The wreckage of the Chet Egel. now Moshe is working on fixing it. And that's what was going on in the previous Aliyah as well, and getting a forgiveness from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the ability to move forward. So here the first passage begins, so yes, Kaddish Baruch Hu says, Ramban writes, this is probably at the end of the 40 days, right before Moshe is told to make another set of luchos. And I'm going to fulfill this also. So the Rishonim discuss about what exactly the gam is, and there are apparently a number of requests here. So right before this, Moshe asked that Kaddish Baruch Hu should travel himself together with the Jewish people. And according to Rashi, and there are other interpretations where Rashi quotes from the Gemara, that Moshe was asking not only should God's Shekhinah, his presence, be with the Jewish people, but that Davka, it should not be with Umas Olam. And that's a striking question. So why is it that Davka doesn't want Umas Olam to have the Shekhinah? Why is that a necessary part? Why is it so exclusivist? Why is he trying Davka to keep out all the other nations? So the Maram Shik explains that one perspective is that the Jews should appreciate that the presence of the Shekhinah was davka, a gift from God. It's not necessarily because of something that they did, their spiritual accomplishments, and that's how was able to be present at that time of the C.S. Mitzrayim when they were at the lowest level. And so too, it can be returned here, because clearly the Shekhinah is with them for a purpose, and if they're ready to do tshuva, so then they're able to pursue that purpose, and therefore the Shekhinah can be restored. Rav Kook understood differently that he said this is really not a selfish request, this idea of excluding the Umas Olam, but quite the opposite, that this is on behalf of the world, that if the idea is that the Jews are supposed to be a model for the world, so then it's going to be very misleading if the Shekhinah is not just with them, but the Shekhinah is also with all the other nations that don't have that mission or that kind of behavior. So therefore, in order for the world to be able to benefit from the modeling of the Jewish people, so then the Shekhinah has to dafka and exclusively be with them. And the Chubas Knaf Ranana, he talks about this in his Hakdama, and his Hakdama to Yeridea, and he understands that the purpose of the world is trying to understand the Kaddish Baruch Hu through his mitzvot and not through black magic or through any other kind of technique. And once again, that that's going to require that there be a clear path here and that one that is confused because other nations, whatever strategies they pursue, are also able to bring the Shekhinah into their presence. So now this next Pasuk, very brief, but incredibly, incredibly theologically intense and one of the 
major themes of this entire parsha and of life. So for Yomar, so Moshe says, So first of all, on the surface, so this is a very shocking kind of request that we should presumably take the win here and be happy with what he's already accomplished. Now here the Jews were in terrible trouble, and Moshe is able to obtain Mechila. So that's not enough. Now also, show me your cover. So what does that mean? So here, very different perspectives. Uh, Rav Shamshim Hirsch writes that Moshe knew that he had Chain, that he wants to obtain a higher level. Chain, we find sometimes used to convey that Akash Baruch Hu is bestowing his presence or his relationship with somebody, not necessarily because he's deserving. And that's what we find in the context of Noah, for example. We find in Noah, Matzah Chain. And Chazal understand that to mean it's not necessarily a compliment, it's that he's able to receive divine favor just because of other factors. So Moshe Rabbeinu perhaps is asking for more than that. He wants to now really experience God in a more direct and justified way. Uh, the Znaim Torah understands that Moshe's request is stopped because of the downfall of the Jewish people here and how they slipped up because maybe he's trying to be Malambit's puss on the Jews. He's saying that they stumbled because they were looking for a visible representation of God. That was what they were used to from Mitzrayim. So therefore they wanted to be able to have something to look at. So he's saying, now also understand that I need to have something visible, so to speak, in order to be able to get the Jews to have that kind of focus that they're used to or that they're expecting. Maybe that's a part of it. It's a very important treatment of this in the Nesiva Shalom. The Slonim Rebbe in the Nesiva Shalom, so he focuses on what this idea means of and this really goes to the whole core of the Parsha and of life and of the Shuv experience. And he understands that what Moshe was asking is how is God's kavod going to be displayed specifically through this Misa, through this whole episode and the Avera and the Tshuva and the whole incident of the Chete Egel, how is it going to be that God's kavod is still going to be displayed through this? And what he discusses there, the Aslami Rabbi, is very fascinating. He talks about the whole notion that we're familiar with of Tshuva Me'ava and Tshuva Me'ira, that we know the Gemara says in the name of Yochanan that Tshuva Me'ira is effective, but in a somewhat limited way, that if somebody does Tshuva Me'ira, so then his Averis are made into Shkagos. It's as if they don't count against them. While if somebody does Tshuva Me'ava, if somebody really does a full-blown Tshuva that's motivated by love, so then, even his intentional averos are now treated as actual merits, as actual mitzvahs. So in discussing that, the Slavir Rebbe observes, says there are two types of children, let's say, children who get in trouble. So let's say, for example, a parent buys a child, the father buys him some fancy, expensive new clothes, and he says, okay, you have to be very careful, don't play with your friends in the mud today because you're wearing these expensive new clothes, and you have to make sure not to get too dirty and to take good care of them. But then the child, he sees a football game starting, and he just can't resist. So he jumps in, and he gets tackled, and pretty soon the clothes are all messed up, and now he realizes he's in big trouble. So there's two types of kids in terms of how they would react. 
and how they would deal with this, how they would address the trouble. So the first type, he's afraid of his father getting mad at him, and he doesn't want to have to endure the consequences and the anger. He doesn't want to have the full brunt of that. So he comes to his father, and he's crying, and he's in tears, and he's clearly feeling terrible about how he is in trouble. So the hope is that the father will have Rahmanus on him, and he'll get mad at him a little bit, but it'll be in a limited way, and then he'll be able to move on. He won't have to have too much of a punishment and too much of a negative experience. So that's what you see when it comes to tshuva me'ira. It's limited, and you convey that you're very, you're so upset about what's going to happen to you now that there's a rachmanis that comes along with that, and okay, so then the punishment is mitigated, and the averis ultimately are treated like accidents, treated like events that don't necessarily count against you in the same way. But what is tshuva me'ava? So here he describes another kind of child, what he describes as a chacham, have to figure out exactly the usage of Chacham, because you know, if the Seder is coming up, we talk about the Chacham in a positive way. Here, it's also a positive, but it sounds like he's talking about a little bit of clever child, a little bit manipulative, but presumably he means it Lashma, so it's a Chacham in a genuine sense. This child, when he comes to the father, his tears are not about the fact that he's afraid of punishment. He's not trying to get Rachmanis in that sense. But he's crying because he realizes what happened now, that he was given this expensive new suit, and now it's been destroyed. And how was that allowed to happen? How did he get himself in this situation? And really, how come the father let it happen? He knows he's a kid. He knows that he's going to be tempted to join the football game. He knows that he's not able to really properly protect these garments. So how did the father let him get into this condition where now he was able to destroy his clothes? So he's crying about that. He's crying about the fact that he's now in this situation where his clothes are destroyed, and he feels bad about that, not just about the punishment, but about the fact that his clothes are all messed up. And he's also in anguish that had his father allowed him to get in this position by entrusting him when he clearly wasn't of the age that he was worthy of being trusted. So to that, the father then will have such identification and rahmanis with the child, that he's not going to want to punish him. But more than he's not going to want to punish him, he's going to empathize with his feeling that he's now missing out. Now he doesn't have the nice clothes anymore. And the father is not only going to forgive him, but he's going to try to help him to get new clothes, and try to help him get restored to where he was before so that he can go further. So that's essentially what's happening here that the mentality that's being conveyed is it's not just that the Jews and Moshe representing the Jews are afraid of consequences for the Avera, but the question is at a more profound and basic fundamental level that how is it that the Jews at this point were able to get so dirty, were able to fall in the mud to such an extent, and how could their father let it happen? How could a Baruch Hu let it occur that they're going to get so far from where they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to carry out their mission. And for that, the idea is that Shuvah Me'ava, so then a Kaddish Baruch Hu recognizes that, okay, I have to help them not only feel better, 
but to be restored to their mission and to be able to move forward in a effective way. So then that becomes that question, so now, Abba, tell me, how am I supposed to represent you under these circumstances? What's going to come out of this that's going to be positive, that's going to be a Kiddush Hashem, despite all of the negative path that it took to get there? So to that, the response is, the next passage, So God says that I am going to make my goodness pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name of God in front of you, and I will have Rachmanus on whoever I will have Rachmanus on. So... Here, right, this is uh, the, what he is going to do, which is not yet what he's not going to do, so we'll pause the whole dialogue for a second to talk about this. The Aznayim Torah has a observation here that this is Midas Derech Eretz, that if somebody asks you for something that you're not going to fulfill for whatever reason, you're not able to give them everything that they ask for, so at least to soften the blow, so you say, what I can do. So instead of just starting off, okay, I'm not going to do this, so you say, here's what I will be able to do for you. So God is saying, I am So there will be that. You're not going to get the whole request, as we'll see from the next passage. But you will get something. And this Rachmanis, the Gemara and Brachas and Davzayin and Menalif writes that that is meant to convey that even if the person doesn't seem to be deserving of Rachmanis, so then I will, nonetheless, I will display it. And the Tartamimus suggests that's why it's the Lashem of Rachmanis, that if somebody does deserve this treatment, so then that's called Sedek, that's going to be justice. But the idea of expressing Rachmanis, of being able to show compassion, so Kaddish Baruch was saying that's a part of my Midos, these are one of the Midos HaRachamim, this notion of compassion, and you're not necessarily going to understand how I disperse it, how I give out my compassion, it's going to be even to that where it seems like it's not deserving. But your whole request that you want to understand me, so you can't, however, see me from the front, and you can only see me in the back, and that's uh, what we'll come to by the end of the Aliyah, but here he says, you're not going to be able to see me in a frontal fashion. And that's a necessary part of the world because no human can see me and live. And I believe Ram has a comment on this where he asks, why not? You know, God is in control of the world, so he can do whatever he wants. So what is it? like he's bound by some law of physics here that a human being can't see him and live. Why can't God just do whatever he wants and allow human beings to see and continue to live? He is in control. So he suggests that it goes to the concept in of itself, that Moshe is asking for the ultimate in experiencing the divine. And the purpose of this world, of Olam Hazaz, we'll say a little bit more about it in a moment, is that it's a constant effort to strive to do more and more. So that's why one is alive, meaning that's why one experiences the existence in this world at this stage, because he has always more to gain and to grow in terms of trying to understand the Kadesh Baruch So essentially what he's saying is that if you're going to go right now to the ultimate in understanding God in this world, so then there's no point in continued life, there's no chai, there's no, there's no continuation of that in this existence, and therefore it's inherently 
a stira for that to happen. Nesiva Shalom, continuing the piece that we started a minute ago, so he talks about this. Question about that? Um, yeah. Even if Moshe sees and understands Hashem, wouldn't he still have the purpose of transmitting it to B'nai Israel? So you said that should itself be a spiritual growth. And that, yeah. uh, that's an interesting perspective. It's an interesting point to add. I hear you. But and here, that's not just about him. His, right. his life, and Moshe shows and this in so many places, his life isn't about him. His life right. is about... So that itself is a spiritual elevation. I hear it. Interesting point. So here the Nesiva Shalom continues his point by saying that here Moshe's request from two psukim ago was, okay, show me now how this is all going to be a Kiddush Hashem. Show me how this is all going to work. So to that, Akadosh Baruch Hu says it's limited, that I am forgiving you and allowing you to move forward in a way of a tshuva me'ava, but if your expectation is you should be able to understand how this all makes sense and why this all happened the way it did and how it's all logical, so that's not what this world is for. This world is the Olam HaHester, and uh, some of the sources point out the word Olam is related to Nelam, there's a certain amount that's hidden, and that's the nature of this existence and your expectation that you will be able to understand things, that's not reasonable because that goes against the purpose of this phase of existence. So that's what it means, that a person who's living in this world, this world is by its nature hidden to a certain degree, and it is the avoda, the tikkun of the person in this world, is to be able to function in that context, to be able to bring out Kiddush Hashem, davka mitocha hester, this is of course a theme of Purim, and we'll have more to say about Purim in a moment, but uh, that idea that there is the presence of God despite the obstacles and despite the extent to which it's hidden, so that is an inherent part of existence in this world, and therefore, you can't expect that you're going to be able to understand everything 100% and still be functioning in this world. That's now what this world is about. And then God goes on to say that so here there's a place next to me, and you'll stand up on the rock. So it'll come to pass, my cover will pass you, and I'll put you with the Nikras Hatsur, and there's a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you up as I pass by. And here the Chassam Sofer has a comment, which really continues in the same vein, or Salvechik had rushes along these lines as well, that this was a physical obstacle in order to convey the point that that is the nature of the world, that there are things that are going to be hidden, and these are the fixed elements of reality that get in the way of seeing, but that's also philosophically a part of the existence in this world. And that's what you have to be able to appreciate, you have to be able to understand. So the Pasuk ends the Aliyah, and I'll take away my hand, so you'll see my back, you won't be able to see my front. So this idea here, the imagery of seeing my back and not seeing my front, so that also connects to this whole notion that to be able to understand things as they're going on, that's an inherent contradiction to the way this world operates, and even Moshe Rabbeinu is not entitled to that kind of exposure, but hopefully, you're able to go back and you're able to look and to see how things make sense. You're able to understand afterwards, and that's a, a tremendous key in itself. And you can only really appreciate and understand history in hindsight. And Archa Shulchan had a comment 
that that's the bracha of the Haftorah that we say, Achor Liyashuv Rekam, that the uh, Nevi'im, so we are grateful for them, that at least Achor Liyashuv Rekam, that maybe we sometimes are baffled and we're empty-handed in terms of understanding what's going on, but Achor, ultimately, we're able to look back and then we can understand. And it Siv has a comment that's quoted in the Sefer Bechia, that uh, Gemara and Tainus says that in the future, Kodesh Baruch Hu is going to make a circle for the Tzadikim, and Kodesh Baruch Hu is in the middle, so all the Tzadikim will be sitting in the circles. Some point out the imagery of the circles, every point is equidistant from the center, and that's part of the imagery. But also, at that point, you don't need to look back, that everything would be forward-fronting, but that is for the future. And to say a little bit about, here we are in the days following Purim, and the lingering message of Purim as we go forward. So we know that Purim is a time when we have themes of laughter and comedy, and those who are able to be here at our night, and those who are able to experience other ways in which laughter and humor is integrated into the day. So the whole question of what role that has in a Torah Hashkaf in general is one about which there's a lot to discuss, and maybe we've said a little bit about it other times, but here just to focus on one specific and maybe very central and fundamental value of humor, there is a Gemara in the beginning of the Sakas of Adazara that tells us about a Kaddish Baruch Hu's daily schedule. And one of the things the Gemara says that God does every day is that he spends part of the day playing with the Leviasan, playing with the big fish. So it's hard to understand what's that there to tell us. How is this of any spiritual value for Chazal to convey that to us? And the Salavechik said in the Drasha, I believe at a funeral, part of a Hesbid, but he said in the Drasha that this is another example of when Chazal are helping us to fulfill the mitzvah of the Halach de Bidracha, that we have a mitzvah to imitate God, and it's difficult to know what that means practically. How do you imitate God? And very often, the Gemara tells us it's about chesed, that that's the primary realization, we follow God's midos. For Salvechik Darshind, and Shekhar has a whole conscious about this in his first volume of Nefesh Harav, that that's the primary way, but there are also other ways that when the Torah or the Gemara tells us about a Baruch Hu's Hanhakos, so often it's for that purpose of teaching us how to fulfill that mitzvah of the Bajachov. So he said, this is also an example of that, that when the Gemara tells us that God spends part of the day playing with the Liyasin, so what's the value of that? That's also to teach us Balach de Bajachov, what does it mean? That you can't take everything so seriously, that you have to be able to be a little bit playful sometimes. So what does that mean on a fundamental level? How is that really a part of the Balach de Bajachov? So I believe what he's saying is that we talk about a sense of humor. Another way of referring to a sense of humor is sometimes called a sense of perspective. And one could understand that part of the value of humor, there are a lot of other values also, maybe in a more pragmatic sense, but in a very fundamental sense, part of the value of humor is to have perspective, to be able to understand what's serious and what's not so serious, and what's important and what's less important. And if you don't have that sense of perspective, so then you can't function because everything weighs you down. Everything seems like it's equally urgent and equally distressing and is equally worthy of your attention. And one who has a sense of perspective is able to put things where they belong and to deal with things as they're meant to be dealt with and therefore can also live a serious life because he's able to focus on that which is important. 
So we are told to strive to have a sense of perspective. And that very much is consistent with the notion of Alachta Bidrachav, because who has the ultimate perspective? The ultimate perspective is Akadosh Baruch Hu. So to be able to see things from a God's eye view, to see the whole world, so then you'll really have perspective. So that's the notion of Alachta Bidrachav, in this case, try to, to the best that we can, accept this perspective of Akadosh Baruch Hu and see how things fit in. But of course, clearly we don't have the same skill set, which is part of the whole challenge, the mitzvah of halachta v'drachav. And this could perhaps also be relevant to the Gemara in Masachas Brachos, where the Gemara says, one of the statements in Shas, it seems like it's an anti-humor Gemara, an anti-laughter Gemara. The Gemara has a phrase there, that that a person cannot fill his mouth with laughter in this world, because the Pasuk we know from Shur Hamalos, that at some time in the future, that's when it's going to be proper to fill our mouths with laughter, but not yet. So it's a big discussion how to interpret that Gemara and how to codify it. It's actually brought in the Shulchan Aruch and Hilchus Tishabav, but it's not clear, according to other Rishon, but it's not necessarily talking about the Churban or anything connected to it. But also... The question of, does that mean all laughter, or does that mean davka, extreme laughter, lamalis so there's a lot to discuss about that. Does asr really mean asr? Does it mean something else? There's a lot written about what that Gemara is getting at, but we could understand it in light of what we were just saying, that humor is supposed to reflect that we understand the perspective, that we have a sense of how things fit in, of what's serious and what's not. So we strive to have that sense of perspective, to imitate a Kaddish Baruch Hu. But we also have to appreciate that we don't have that complete perspective. We're doing the best we can as human beings. But we don't really have the angle that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has. So we have to appreciate that we're limited. So the idea of if one thinks he totally gets the joke, if one fills his mouth with laughter because he thinks he sees it all, so then you have to understand that that's not true. In this world, that's not possible. That there is a time in the future that when you reach the wonderful world of Oz, so then you'll be able to look back and then you'll be able to see that, oh, now I see how it all makes sense. Now I see how it all fits in. That's where Isra Sacharai. But when you're in it, it's never going to be possible to see everything as a human being. You can try, and you're supposed to try. That's this notion of the Halach to the Drachah. But to also recognize the limitation and to understand that there's only so far we can go with that, so we can't be mamali schodpiv. And that's one of the themes also, that when it comes to here we are now in the post-Purim phase, the immediate uh, Shushan Purim Shalvelius today, so we're two days away from Purim, and the Gemara that we've discussed a number of times recently, the Gemara Shabbos, which talks about the aftermath of Purim, that the Hadar Kiblu of the that the lasting impact of Purim was that the Jews recommitted to the Torah, maybe hadn't fully committed to begin with, as we've been discussing, and then they came with a full sense of commitment at this point. And one could understand that also in the same way. We mentioned the position of the Tanhuma that the Jews were willing, Nasa Benishma, to accept the Torah Shabbat, the Torah Shabbat, which was so full of details on Chumras that was beyond us. But now, in the aftermath of the great miracle, so now there is a sense of recognition of how things all make sense and how we're able to look back. And as the expression goes, you know, someday we'll look back and laugh. That's essentially what's happening. You can look back and you can laugh. So being able, in the aftermath of a great miracle, to recognize things differently and to see that that which seems very burdensome and difficult is not really so burdensome, but really it's all for our good and it's all there to help us. So then there's this appreciation of what the Tarshavah is, and then the Jews are able to say, okay, I'm ready to take that. 
And just to say one more thing about Saliyah before saving a few minutes for Parshas Bara, which is about which there's a lot to say also. So the Gemara in Brachas and Zayin says that this idea of showing him his back, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu showed Moshe his Kesher filling, worn in the back of the head. So what exactly is the symbolism of the knot in the back of the tefillin? So the Maim Shik writes that this is to symbolize looking behind you, to tie together what has happened, to increase your love for God. So you have the Kesher and it's behind you. And as the Tarot Tamima writes, just like you know a Kesher is tied to something, so here you're also reminded that this is tied to something that which you're able to turn around and see and to understand. And the Sheng B'Shmuel quotes from his father from the Avni Nezer that tefillin is actually from the language of machshava, that klila means a judgment, means to think. So tefillin actually comes from that word the Avni Nezer suggested. And that tefillin really represents machshava, represents the mindset. That's why we have a prohibition of being a siach das we have tefillin on. And therefore also this message that you have a connection mentally that you are in tune with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's ways. It's represented by the tefillin. And that's our Pesach in, to have that type of focus and that type of concentration. And that's what the tefillin represents. So the notion of concentrating on something is also relevant to us this Shabbos. So last week we had a Kriya Torah that was understood by many to be Torah, and we discussed the whole history of Parsha Zafar being understood in that sense. But the question is, what about this week? So this week is Parshas Para. So Parshas Para wouldn't seem to be on the same level. But there is an opinion in Rishonim that maybe it is. And we mentioned last week that one of the indications that Zachar is Daraisa is that Tosfus and a few other Rishonim talk about why the Gemara has a discussion about Tivrei Torah. Do they have to be specifically Belashon HaKodesh or not? And the Rishonim say, what's the Nafkamina? On the level of Torah, because in Torah you don't have to lane. So the Rishonim say, well, there are a few times where you do have a Kriya, Minat Torah, Zachar, and the like, and thro- some of them throw in Parshas Para. So how exactly is Parshas Para going to be Minat Torah? So we don't find the mitzvah of Zechira that we're aware of in the context of the Paraduma. So why is that on the same level? And there were some who suggested maybe it's a typo, that maybe it said somewhere Pei Pei, meant to be Parshas Para, and was also referenced to Amalek, and it was assumed to refer to Parshas Para, you recall, this is the second time that Para has been accused of being a typo. So by Mara, you find that discussion as well, right? That maybe Para should have been a chaf there. So here, you find the same accusation. And it doesn't seem to be the case, because you find this in a number of places. And the Shulchan Aruch even quotes this as a day that Parsha's Para might be in Torah. So if that's the case, so we have to find the source. So where is it that there is a notion? So some explain, the Meshachachma writes, that there is a din, you have to separate the Jews from Tumah, especially as we approach Pesach, with the Korban Pesach. So therefore, the public reading of this method of Tara is a way of highlighting the need to avoid Tumah. The Archa Shulchan suggests that since we're told that this is a concept that's going to apply forever, so we know that nowadays we're not so involved in paradumas, so we also know that the notion of neshama parim shlosenu, that we make up for that which we can't do through learning about it, so maybe that's a way to fulfill the implications of the Pasuk, that there's always going to be a relevance to the Paraduma, so even when we're not bringing the Paraduma, maybe we are obligated to read about it at a Darisa level in order to make that Pasuk bear out its intent, that it's still applicable. 
But there's another suggestion which I'd like to focus on, which is particularly relevant and very timely here, and that is that uh, there's an idea the Malbim has in a Sefer Aitzis Lachayim and the Shuvah Sarugas Abosim has like this, a few others have like this, that we could maybe make a Shidduch, that there is a, another question we could ask, that there is a mitzvah the Torah tells us in Sefer Dvarim, Zachar al Tishkach, Esa Shehik Tzafta, Shemokach of Amidbar, in Pashas Ekev that we have to remember and not forget how we anger God in the desert, which is probably, some understand differently, but it's probably a reference to Egel Hazav. So we apparently have a mitzvah to remember the Egel Hazav, and the Ramban writes that that's a real mitzvah. He says that's one of the 613 mitzvahs. It's a pal why the Rambam doesn't count it. He should have counted it because there's a real mitzvah here, apparently, to remember the Egel Hazav. So the question then becomes, well... And when do we do that? So we have a mitzvah of Zechira Samalik, and we see that we have a whole Shabbos and a whole event, and we make a whole Taram about that. Everyone has to fulfill this mitzvah. And we have a mitzvah to remember Shabbos, okay, so that we have Kiddush and a lot of other things. We know Zechira Sisiyas Mitzrayim, we're going to have a lot of focus on it next month. We have Kiyumim for the Zechiras in general, but the Zechira of Cheta Ego, so where does that happen? So when do we fulfill that? So the Magen of Ram writes that regarding the Ego and Miriam, so there, these are embarrassing parshiyos for us. They involve averos, so we'd rather forget. But we have a mitzvah to remember, so okay, so how do we fulfill it? We keep it at a minimum, and we just rely on the yearly cycle of Kriya Torah that we have nowadays, so that's the fulfillment. We don't want to make a bigger deal out of it than we have to. But there are some who suggest, the, the Malbin and the Arugas Abosan, that uh, we can make a shidduch here, because here we have a mitzvah that doesn't have to, any fulfillment, as far as we can tell. And we also have a din here that doesn't seem to have a source. So maybe they are related, that maybe the mitzvah of remembering the Chet Egel is dafka fulfilled through the reading about the Paraduma. And that's to represent, as Rashi quotes in the beginning of Pashas Chukas, that the imagery of the Paraduma is the para is a kapara for the ego, that the mother should come and clean up the mess of the child. So we have that imagery that the cow has supposed to represent that. So perhaps the idea is that if we're told to remember the cheta ego, so why is that? We just we want to be depressed, we want to embarrass ourselves. Why are we told to remember the cheta ego? So presumably, like the Gemara says, also the bizarre that this uh, that this wouldn't have otherwise happened, we want to be able to display tshuva to the public, to the world, that there's a possibility of the rabbin repenting. So there's a message of tshuva here. So we want to focus on this idea of the kapara, not about the avera itself. So therefore, we choose to fulfill this mitzvah of remembering the eagle in a more positive and uplifting way by using the kapara as a reminder. So perhaps it's a fulfillment of this din Torah of remembering the chayta eagle. We do that through the reading of Parshas Parah. So that would work very nicely if that is indeed the theme, that the purpose of this zechira is to focus us on the possibility of kapara. So it's probably going to write a time. But if that's the idea, so then that makes sense, that seems to fit. But there is another perspective on the mitzvah of remembering the Chet Egel, which maybe would require a different explanation, because some say that the reason we're told to remember the Egel is not necessarily because of the Kapara, but also not necessarily to embarrass ourselves, but as a cautionary tale, that we have to appreciate that 
we're always vulnerable, and we might think that we reached a certain madrega, you received the Torah, you think that we're on such a high spiritual level, that we're not capable of falling and of stumbling. So to that, we have to remind ourselves that even at that madrega, it was possible to fall into a Vodazara. So all the more so, we have to be careful and we have to be on our guard. So if that's the case, so does that still have a kiyum in Paraduma as the way to do it? So I would think actually yes, because you know that fundamental question about the paraduma, the paradox, if you will, the question of how is it that it's able to both be metami tahorim and tar and that's the issue that we all focus on when we talk about the paraduma. So it could be that maybe this is the message, that we have to understand that there's no external tool or context that can do the job on its own, that as much as we are required to search out the circumstances for ourselves that will be most conducive to spiritual success, but we still have to understand that the responsibility still lies within us. We still have to be vigilant and we still have to be responsible for what's going on because even the paraduma, you might say, okay, this is a vehicle for tumo, that's the whole, it's a vehicle for tara, that's the whole point. This is here to confer purity. So it's safe. We can just be on autopilot and we can just forget about things. And the message is that, no, that even that tool for Tara can also be a tool for Tuma, and that nothing is completely safe. It's all about us and about, yes, creating the best circumstances we can, but within that, still understanding that there still is the responsibility of vigilance and that even Kali Yisrael, after receiving the Torah, could still stumble with the Chet Egel. There's no setting that's perfect and that makes you invulnerable. And the Paraduma also perhaps represents that in the same way. And to understand that you can't expect something to only go in one direction, that there's a potential to go in both directions, and that our personal responsibility within that is going to be key. So of course it works out especially well, just like this, as it often happens, that we have Parshas Kisisa and the Parshas Para joined together. So the message is really made in a very powerful way that we read about the Chet Hegel and immediately afterwards we read about the Paraduma and the notion that the Paraduma is a kapara for the Chet Hegel that you don't need this whole word for that already Rashi tells us. So that calendaric serendipity is already very beneficial for us to be able to read one after the other, but also to especially understand that, similar in the sense that we said uh, last week, when we're talking about Parshish Kasabe, and we said that the Big Day Kahuna is still relevant to us, because the kapara that comes from the Big Day Kahuna comes from being able to absorb the symbolism and the messages within it, so we are still capable of doing that, even with So, so too, as we read the Parsha of the Chet Egel, and we are forced to ponder just how vulnerable we are and just how dangerous things can be and how much there is an obligation of response that is appropriate and it seeks out the how can we find the Kiddush Hashem within the tragedy, within that disaster. So, so too, the affixing of Parshish Parah to that helps us to remind ourselves that there is a path to tshuva, and a part of that path to tshuva comes from fixing the mistakes, comes from recognizing and internalizing just how much we have to be careful, just how much our Vodas Hashem requires that within the context of a hidden world, within the context of an olam hanelam, to try to be Mekadosh Hashem in that context also, when we can't see everything straight, 
and only we're only able to have some kind of a perspective looking backwards. And Davka, in the context of such a world, we are obligated to do our avoda and function within that setting and to bring care and attention and awareness so that we don't, God forbid, stumble. And in fact, our actions are for all involved. So I wish you a inspiring Shabbos Kisisa, Shabbos Bar, a lot to study, a lot to pay attention to, and very excited for Sunday, we will all be learning together in the Meadowlands, and she will be back at 10 o'clock in the Meadowlands on my side of the bridge, and I look forward to seeing you then.